Book Three, Chapter Four of Toussaint L'Ouverture, A Biography and Autobiography. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Toussaint L'Ouverture, A Biography and Autobiography by John Relly Baird. Book Three, Chapter Four. Rochambeau assumes the command, his character, voluptuousness, tyranny, and cruelty, receives large reinforcements, institutes a system of terror, the insurrection becomes general and irresistible, the French are driven out of the island. After the death of Leclerc, the command of Haiti passed into the hands of Rochambeau that general was deformed in body but of a robust constitution his manner was hard and severe though he had a propensity to voluptuousness in his youth he had under the eyes of an illustrious father served the cause of independence in north america he lacked neither ability nor experience in war he possessed tender domestic and friendly affections his good qualities would have accompanied him to the tomb if he had not been called to the government of San Domingo. Regarding virtue as both lovely and requisite in private life, he judged it useless and even dangerous in public affairs, as if the laws of eternal justice depended on position and circumstances. Misled by this gross delusion, he feared not to give himself up to acts of violation, spoliation, and cruelty of all kinds. Blaming the tardy and hesitating administration of his predecessor, he resolved to employ all the resources of terror in order to establish his authority. Masters who had been impoverished by the freedom of the slaves saw with joy Rochambeau succeed a chief who, according to circumstances, espoused or betrayed their personal interests. But the blacks were disquieted when they knew that he had taken the helm independently of the massacre he had committed in the bay of manzanilla they remembered that when merely a general he had not scrupled to degrade them with the punishment of the lash but what caused them greater alarm were some words addressed in a tone of pleasantry to their wives at a festivity which he had given at port-au-prince you he said are invited to dance at your interment a hall hung with black and lighted up by funeral torches seemed to them the image of their approaching sanguinary end despotism and sensuality have often been companions in rochambeau the one sharpened the appetite for the other as though greediness of bodily pleasure welcomed the zest arising from the sight of bodily pain no small part of his time Rochambeau passed at table, or on sofas with creole females, worshippers of pleasure as well as most cruel toward their slaves. They spoke to him constantly of chains, prisons, the scourge, and other punishments, in the midst of games, laughter, caresses, and senseless gratifications with which they intoxicated his soul. As his policy inclined him to violence, he willingly allowed himself to be overcome by the fascinations of these women, as well as by irritated proprietors, who continually pointed him to their houses in flames and their slaves in revolt in the mountains. Thus did he listen only to counsels of hatred enforced by contempt and vice. The fever had changed the character of the army. 
the heart of the soldier was worn by regret, fatigued by misfortune, and filled with trouble. No longer had the noise and glitter of arms, encampments, war, and victory any attractions for him. A bitter and savage melancholy had succeeded to the hilarity and joy of courage and hope. Even officers of rank were seen to disown authority and to favor a revolt, which they judged legitimate. But Rochambeau, who required a blind submission, dismissed those the firmness of whose soul he doubted, thus giving free course to tyranny in order to oppose an effectual remedy to the evils he wished to put down. Up to this time, punishment and violence had been covered with a veil. Toussaint had not been arrested except as a result of a pretended conspiracy. A military tribunal had condemned Charles Belair. Those who had suffered death had been taken with arms in their hands, or had kept up communications with the insurgents. In truth, many women and children were in the number of the victims, but they were at least implicated by some accusation, and it was through fear, rather than cruelty, that disarmed soldiers had been drowned at the Cape. But from this time there was no longer any study of appearances. Law, judges, and tribunals were ceremonies too circuitous and too tardy. Meanwhile, Rochambeau, who received in different detachments fresh troops, to the number of twenty thousand men, sent them under different circumstances against the revolters, whom he drove away from the country around Port-au-Prince, Mont-Saint-Nicholas, and the heights which overhung the Cape. As he was most eager to signalize his command by some victory, he retook Fort Dauphine and Port du Pé without any memorable action. This was the term of his success. The blacks, without regret, abandoned fortresses which to them seemed contemptible in comparison with their rocks. But in the degree in which they were repulsed at one point, they extended toward another, so that they only acquired accessions of strength. But what was more for their encouragement and advantage was that they were furnished with arms by English vessels. Rochambeau thought that there was no surer means to repress their ardor than to affright them by some extraordinary punishment. The sea off the Cape was chosen to be the theater of an execution, unparalleled in what is called civilized life. For fear that Maurepas, who had gained distinction under Toussaint Louverture, after having embraced the side of France, should join the insurgents, Leclerc had written to him to come by sea, with his family and his troop, to take the command of the Cape, which he destined for him as a reward for his services. No sooner had he arrived than he and his soldiers were seized and disarmed. Rochambeau ordered preparations to be made for a barbarous punishment in order to put the Negro general to death, with his troop, consisting of four hundred blacks. It was also put in deliberation whether death should be inflicted on his children, in order to prevent them from rising up to avenge their father. After having been bound to the mast of a vessel, Maurepas was frightfully insulted. His wife, his children, and his soldiers were brought to be drowned under his eyes. The executioners were astounded when they beheld a father fix his dying eyes by turns on his children, his wife, and his companions in arms, undergoing a violent death, while they, on their part, turned their eyes away from a father, a husband, a general whose countenance was disfigured by the tortures he was enduring. After being made to contemplate each other's sufferings, 
they were all tossed into the ocean. They died without complaining in a manner worthy the champions of liberty. With a reversal of the order of nature, the father died last. He also suffered most. Thus died Maurepas, whose character was a compound of frankness and severity. Thrice had he repulsed the French at the gorge of Trois-Rivières. He had at once the glory and the misfortune to go over to the French with victorious arms. The elevation of his soul equaled his valor. He preserved a tender feeling for the master whose slave he had been. He caused funeral honors to be paid to that master, and when his grave had been negligently prepared, he threw off his upper garment in order to perform the pious office properly. Among men of his own blood he was a powerful chief. A spirit of order and justice prevailed in his life. His riches, which were considerable, were given up to pillage. It would almost seem as if so much excellence were subjected to so much ignominy, expressly to show that, while black men are capable of any virtue, white men are capable of any crime. Certainly my narrative is replete with instances which, beyond a question, prove that moral as well as mental excellence is independent of the varieties of color. This brutal punishment, preceded by vile perfidy, filled the camps of the insurgents with horror. That horror was augmented when Rochambeau at the Cape put to death five hundred prisoners. On the place of execution and under the eyes of the victims, they dug a large hole for their grave, so that the poor wretches may be said to have been present at their own funeral. De Salinet, burning to avenge Maurepas and his fellow-soldiers, rushed like a lion on the cape, and, in his impetuous and terrible march, he surrounded and made prisoners a body of Frenchmen, who, at the post called Belair, defended the approach to the city. Then, with branches of trees that ferocious African raised under the eyes of Rochambeau, five hundred gibbets, on which he hanged the same number of prisoners. Of these victims of vengeance, the greater number had been the consul's companions in arms. They had assisted that bad great man to acquire his pretensions to a throne, and for their reward they had been sent out of his way to suffer an ignominious and painful death at the hands of a savage. Rochambeau, who occupied himself less and less with war, continued to plunge into the delights of the table and of voluptuousness with courtesans and wives of colonists, who never ceased to stimulate his tyranny and exact from him the restoration of their slaves. Then, while the insurrection, in the name of liberty, made head in the mountains, on the plains suspicion converted everything into crime. If you went abroad, you joined the revolters. If you stayed at home, you were waiting for them. If you manifested joy, you took pleasure in the public calamities. If you appeared sad, you grieved over the reverses of the revolt. If you wrote letters, you corresponded with the enemy. If you talked, you spread sedition. If you were observed to listen, you were a spy. If you failed to salute a white, you insulted a master. Bravery was dangerous. Weakness was complicity. Innocence was stratagem. Interpretations were put on a gesture, a smile, a sigh. Silence was accused of sedition, and even thoughts had no asylum in their last refuge, the human heart. Such is the character of the tyranny which under the slightest pretext, and often by mere hazard, threw its toils round a multitude of victims, 
without distinction of age or sex, to effect their ruin. The number of sufferers was greatly augmented because colonists, by a species of rivalry, denounced the peaceful slaves of other colonists, so that it became almost the sole business of Rochambeau to order or even to devise punishments. The sea and the land were covered with them. The unfortunate blacks were bound together and then thrown into the sea to perish. If they came up to the surface and made their way to the shore, they were in sport pursued and massacred. The executions were varied. Now the blacks were beheaded. Now they were dragged down into the depths by the weight of a shot tied to their feet. And now they were stifled by sulphur on shipboard. Among the number of these victims were female priests who worshipped African fetish idols. That veneration for the gods of their fathers was punished with death. So little does unbelief guarantee toleration. A French general, touched with compassion at the approaching death of one of these superstitious but well-meaning women, implored that her life might be spared. Rochambeau, taking into his hands the pygmy idols of her worship, said, How can I save the life of one who worships these? Yet, during the fever, these very women had bestowed every attention on sick French soldiers. Unhappy women! Their charity had no other recompense than the punishment which is reserved for the vilest crimes. Base ingratitude of the commander. Here again, on which side is the moral superiority? O civilization, what crimes have been committed in thy name? Ye weak ones, whose feeble knees a Christian authority commands Christian men to strengthen. Hebrews 12.12 12. How have indignities and woes been heaped on your heads, simply because ye were weak, not only by skeptics and scoffers, but even by professed believers in a divine religion? The numerous executions which began at Cape City soon extended to other places. Port-au-Prince had its salt waters made bloody, and scaffolds were erected and loaded within and without its walls. The hand of tyranny spread terror and death over the shores of the north and the west. As the insurrection became more daring, it was thought that the punishments had not been either numerous enough, violent enough, or various enough. The colonists counseled and encouraged vengeance as if it was their wealth. All human passions were let loose. Never was such a spectacle of ferocity beheld. The calm, concentrated, impassable revolt which followed the death of Leclerc had committed only particular acts of revenge but at the sight of punishments so numerous and so horrible, insurrection roared and raged on all sides. Men, scarcely anything else than barbarians, made the mountains resound with this death-song. Open, ye sepulchres of our ancestors, ye dusty bones, shudder. Vengeance, vengeance, reply the tombs and all nature. With shouts of joy they ran to battle, and, impatient to avenge their color, they seized the enemies of their liberty, and cast them to the earth to perish. The South was once more on fire. At the same time, at the Cape, at Fort Dauphine, at Port du Pé, at Saint-Marc, at Port-au-Prince, and all along the shores, everywhere were whips, crosses, gibbets, funeral piles, and soldiers, colonists, sailors engaging in slaying, strangling, drowning human beings, 
whose only crime was their refusal to go back into slavery. Some had their bodies lacerated by the scourge. Then they were fastened to posts in the vicinity of a marsh, that they might be devoured half alive by blood-sucking insects. Others were literally burnt alive, as if they had been martyrs for religion. Death thus appeared before the negro in its two most terrible aspects, extreme slowness and extreme rapidity. Others in greater number perished in the sea or on the scaffold. In the country, trees loaded with flowers and breathing perfumes served as gallowses, as if to put in broad contrast the goodness of God and the vileness of man. Countries created for peace, happiness, and joy were thus desolated by human passions scarcely less baneful to those who fostered and indulged them than to those against whom they raged. On the countenance of those who were led to death shone an anticipation of the liberty which they felt was about to grow on a land watered with the blood of their caste. They had the same firmness, the same resignation, the same enthusiasm as distinguished the martyr of the Christian religion. On the gibbets, in the flames, in the midst of tortures, scarcely was a sigh to be heard. Even the child hardly shed tears. The words, our country, freedom, breathed quietly from their dying lips. They often encouraged each other to bear death manfully. A black chief named Chevalier hesitated when he saw the instruments of his punishment. What? said his wife. Thou knowest not how sweet it is to die for liberty. And, without allowing herself to be touched by the executioner, she took the rope and ended her days. A mother said to her daughters who were going to execution, Be glad. You will not be mothers of slaves. The strength of soul which the blacks showed in their tortures was so surprising that the whites ascribed the cause to some peculiarity of organization. It was pretended that the fibers of the blacks contracted with so much force that the sufferers became insensible to pain. Thus, by vain suppositions, an effort was made to rob the victims of the glory of their death. If the question was to make them slaves, then they were not men. If the cruelest punishments were to be inflicted on them, then they did not suffer. If they were not men, why make them do the work of men? If they did not suffer, why impose the punishments? Beasts may do the work which was laid on beings who were not men, and sufferings not felt were inefficacious both as punishments and examples. But when did tyranny lack a pretext, or cruelty lack a palliation? In this case, the pretext and the palliation did but throw the enormity of the injustice into relief. Ordinary expedients were too tame, or too slow, or not sufficiently efficacious. History was ransacked for others. Children, women, and old men were confined in sacks and thrown into the sea. It was the punishment of parricides among the Romans. It was ascertained that three centuries before, in that same country, Spaniards had employed dogs to run down the innocent savages. Frenchmen of the nineteenth century rejoiced that they had at their command a resource so effectual, and, I must add, so diabolical. Rochambeau, however, sent a vessel to the Isle of Cuba to purchase dogs whose nature, under man's training, made them fit for the work of hunting human beings. 
when this ship appeared at the fort of the cape wives of the colonists went to receive them on the shore and made the air resound with cries of joy they put garlands on their necks and strewed their path with flowers some degraded themselves so far as to cover those instruments of their vengeance with kisses to what extravagances does slavery lead an experiment must be made in the courtyard of a convent a sort of amphitheatre was erected which was filled with a multitude panting for negro blood the victim was bound to a post the dogs sharpened by extreme hunger were no sooner let loose than they tore the poor wretches to pieces the ranging animals disputed with each other the palpitating members and the ground was dyed with human blood and canine foam a report spread among the blacks that at the last groan of that pitiable creature the heavens opened and received his soul this kind of death with circumstances more or less frightful became common until cruelty dispensing with all forms disdainfully cast human beings to the dogs who were kept in packs near the city and when the appetite of the animals satisfied with human flesh and gore refused any longer to destroy the sword finished the bloody work showing that man's passions surpass in atrocity those of wild beasts indeed language failed of terms to describe the crimes which the lust of unjust power perpetrated new expressions were invented the drowning of two or three hundred human beings was called a good haul death on a gallows was a step upward to be torn in pieces by dogs was to enter the arena some executioners gained celebrity the name of tombarel long continued to make men shudder the sea and the rivers were stained with blood the numbers of victims were so considerable that the inhabitants refused to eat fish lest they should feed on blood of their own color many blacks of whom some had witnessed these atrocities and others who in the confusion had by swimming or flight escaped from the hands of the executioners went to join the ranks of the insurgents in different places often under the shade of a tree or under the point of a rock these fugitives might be seen recounting to their companions the punishment they had witnessed or suffered how great soever the cruelty it was exaggerated in their hyperbolical phraseology the crowd listened with intense curiosity silence and horror often the narrators were interrupted by questions respecting the fate of a child or a sister who had died on the gibbet or had been tossed into the sea at these frightful accounts the auditors shed tears but they were tears of vengeance some shouted shall we go down into our tombs without having avenged them no their bones would repulse ours others by gestures and cries not satisfied with having carried fire and sword over the lowlands stirred each other up to deeds of carnage and devastation vengeance of a certain barbaric grandeur burst forth in listening to one of these narratives paul l'ouverture the brother of toussaint learned that without any reason his wife who lived at the cape in the peace of her own home had been drowned he fell into a madness of revenge which grief nourished and which nothing appeased he captured near fort dauphine a shipwrecked vessel on board of which were thirty french passengers he took them 
and having led them to one of the principal entrances to cape city he pitilessly immolated them all to the manes of his innocent wife taking pains to put on a post an inscription which stated that the death of a beloved partner had extorted from his grief a vengeance worthy of a proud loving and deeply afflicted soul truly indeed is revenge blind as well as ruthless who can describe who can dare to contemplate the evils of slavery sixteen of the bravest generals of toussaint l'ouverture chained by the neck to the rocks of an uninhabited island breathed their last miserable sigh after wasting away during seventeen days these abominable cruelties are not wholly without relief captains of ships instead of casting the innocent victims put into their hands for the purpose into the sea supported them at their own expense and landed them on some of the neighboring islands or on some remote shore of san domingo none showed more humanity than mazard who employed as much zeal in saving victims as others did in destroying them i have he said deceived your tyrants my heart is lacerated to see the land and the sea covered with victims go into the mountains rejoin your people that posterity may learn that savages dragged to servitude have founded a new state but pity men's passions and leave your revenge to time to remorse to heaven all the sea captains did not act with the same elevation of soul they did indeed save the blacks from death but their conduct was dictated by a base avarice they took them and sold them as slaves in some neighboring island on one of these occasions the governor of puerto rico made this fine reply if they are slaves i will not purchase them if they are free men you have not the right to sell them nor was the army without examples of virtue there were generals who indignant at so many cruelties uttered remonstrances or disobeyed inhuman commands alix who commanded at port au prince refused ten thousand shot intended to be fastened to the feet of victims to freedom this act of disobedience which was really a virtue rochambeau punished by banishment other officers were punished for similar offences truly did the forcible eloquence of the africans characterize the war as a war of cannibals suddenly the south which had been tranquil awoke at the noise of the punishments which sent from the north and the west corpses to float on its shores that province was peopled chiefly by men of color who possessed great wealth and who showed themselves less than in other parts enemies of the whites with whom notwithstanding the force of prejudice they were united by marriage when they saw that they themselves were not spared any more than the blacks they ran to arms the revolt began in the district of petit trois where under the pretext of a conspiracy of which nothing has ever become known they had drowned boudet who had delivered up the fort bisoton at the attack of port-au-prince that punishment revolted public opinion the more because it involved ingratitude the revolt became general as soon as it had been resolved to put to death in the city of calles inhabitants of color who were in the police service and who were charged with betraying signs of discontent but how could punishment be inflicted on so many in silence recourse was had to the sea the men were seized disarmed put into a ship murdered 
and thrown by night into the waves. But womanly love could not be blinded. Women, who had heard the voice of the carnage, demanded, with tears in their eyes, that the massacre of their brothers and their husbands should not go unpunished. Then there appeared on the stage a new man named Ferrault. Highly esteemed in peace, he was terrible in war. He was not a barbarian. His vengeance had some dignity. After having raised the country, he ordered all the colonists to be arrested and to be conducted safe and sound to the village Cotou, situated not far from the sea, where his people had been destroyed. Not expecting clemency, the captives disdained supplication and prepared for death. Ferrault addressed to them these words full of pride and bitterness. Cruel whites, you hesitate not to sacrifice to your hate those who in this land are your defenders. Of what use is it that we are allied to you by the sweet and sacred bonds of nature, for our wives are your mothers and daughters? Not fearing the crime of parricide, you imbrue your hands in our blood. From this spot behold that sea in which, during a frightful night, under the pale light of the stars, you drowned a band of our people. What was their crime? To love you and to serve you. The winds and the waves bear back to us their livid bodies. They are brothers, husbands, companions, faithful friends in servitude, in war, in freedom. A just resentment commands us to sacrifice you, but go across that blood-stained sea and join your own color. Behold in us enemies but not executioners. Ferrault then sent them in a vessel to Cayes, and forthwith made his arrangements for marching against the city. Informed of this revolt, provoked by imprudent attacks, La Plume precipitately returned from the frontiers of the south where he was engaged in checking the ravages of the terrible La Mort de Rance. Scarcely had he got back when he discovered the smoke of Ferrault's camp, in the vicinity of Port-au-Prince. He fell on him, and compelled him to retreat into the rugged mountains called La Haute, whose decomposing rocks, breaking and bursting under men's feet, throw them into their abysses. But Ferrault knew the safe ways those he chose and from them he rushed down to make an eruption into the plains near the town petit guave the body of troops employed in the defence of that city was in part composed of people of colour and partly of frenchmen the former joined the devastator the latter took to flight in order the more effectually to keep his eye on the insurrection which now covered three provinces rochambeau had fixed his residence at port-au-prince still drawing after him a great number of women with all the equipage of effeminate luxury as soon as he had learned the disastrous news he sent netervoud by sea to recapture the city of petit guave as he did not doubt of success he gave his lieutenant a pack of hounds partly to pursue the insurgents with and partly to devour the prisoners netervoud hastened on his errand and made an attack but the enemy, setting the city on fire, entrenched themselves in a fort whence they dealt death on their assailants. Netervoud received a mortal wound in the midst of his soldiers, who were fast perishing, being placed between a burning town and a powerful stronghold. 
flight by sea was the only resource and the dogs in the confusion dispersing abroad added to the dangers and disgrace of the defeat thus netherwood eager for peril and combat lost his life in the flower of his youth in the dishonorable cause of slavery bands of insurgents inflamed by victory occupied the long chains of mountains which run through the southern province they formed communications one with another and at their convenience and their pleasure rushed down into the plains in torrents which carried away whatever was before them de salinet put himself at the head of that great movement two powerful chiefs Geffrard and Cangue, passed from the north to the south they joined ferrault and in unison hastened across the mountains to ravage the fertile lands of cavellon of st louis and of calles then they carried devastation over those of jurimy these events threw consternation into the soul of rochambeau the insurrection threatened to pluck out of his hands the southern provinces he had at first sent six hundred men to la plume for the defense of calles but that weak supply proving insufficient he immediately directed toward jurimy vessels which were bringing from france a reinforcement of two thousand men one moiety of these men reached jurimy and without delay prepared to set out for their destination but from the peaks of his rocks ferrault saw them watched them and prepared to cut them to pieces scarcely were the french ten miles from jurimy when they fell into an ambuscade after a sanguinary conflict they were routed a frightful slaughter ensued the few that escaped hurried back to jurimy where they spread the utmost alarm the other moiety who landed at tiburon were also taken in an ambuscade and cut to pieces near cotou the few who escaped took refuge in Cayes, into which six hundred other soldiers had thrown themselves who were to have formed a junction with the two defeated divisions wherever the insurrection reigned scaffolds were erected the cities of calles and jurimy were afflicted with numerous executions which drew more closely the bonds between the blacks and the colored population and more and more secured success to the cause of freedom la plume seeing that all was lost embarked for france where he died without leaving means for the interment of his remains rochambeau on the brink of despair made new efforts to put a stop to the insurrection he took special pains to withstand the ravages of desalinet whom in a proclamation he threatened to flog to death as the meanest of slaves men only laughed at the folly nevertheless he succeeded in protecting from the continual incursions of that brute the plain cul-de-sac and mirebale which furnished provisions to port-au-prince at the same time he guaranteed the environs of the cape from the frequent attacks of christophe meanwhile rochambeau experienced increasing difficulties in the low state of his exchequer he sought remedies in stock-jobbing and in exactions of all kinds he drew on the united states bills to a very large amount which his government refused to honor he levied large contributions on cities that were half ruined he imprisoned opulent persons who obtained their liberation only by paying large sums of money some had even to give up their property altogether 
he attempted to justify these exactions by pleading the necessities of the public service but he alienated the hearts of those who through interest remained attached to his party to such a degree that after having lost a second army destroyed thousands of poor victims and wasted much money he fell into the same state of distress misery and abandonment as that in which leclerc was a short time before his death with this difference that under the latter the south had not been polluted or devastated by insensate passions and internecine war rochambeau's efforts to stay the insurrection were utterly futile like a vast conflagration it extended from the south to the north if it went out at one point it blazed up in another soon the war changed its seat masters on land the africans commenced hostilities on the seas which they carried on the more advantageously because they were protected by the english in light boats with the aid of the tide and of oars they went up and down the rivers passed from the mountains into the ocean and from the ocean into the mountains spreading terror wherever they appeared they attacked ships massacred the passengers and loaded themselves with plunder which they carried back into their rocky fastnesses woe to the french who sailed toward those deadly shores two vessels from havre and from nantes fell into their hands all on board were slaughtered as on land so on water the insurgents could not be reached they hid their boats in forests dispersed reassembled defying alike the soldiers and the ships of war and almost with impunity pursued at will their destructive career at the sight of an insurrection which was master both on land and on the sea rochambeau was seized with an alarm that he in vain endeavored to conceal the consul who rewarded success only was to be feared by a man who was overwhelmed in failure of what use so many victims so many tortures so many gallowses so many drownings so many raging hounds all this serves only to illustrate the strength of the insurrection and the hopelessness of his cause the moment that the general-in-chief was no longer in a state to make head against the rebellion it began to insult and brave him even in the cities which were his last places of refuge his temper became more and more disquiet and fierce the shades of his victims appeared to him in his dreams now he cried out that he would make san domingo a vast cemetery where at least slavery should bear sway now he declared he would re-establish liberty which his cruelties had made only more precious to the inhabitants then but too late he grew angry at the artifices of the women who had him in their toils and at the colonists who had misled him by their selfish counsels yet did he think it necessary for the security of his troops to continue the system of terror a situation so deplorable could no longer be kept concealed from bonaparte rochambeau sent deputies to paris who reported that the revolt somewhat calm after the death of leclerc having become active again had spread from the north to the south that rochambeau in order to stop its progress had employed the force of arms and the utmost terror that these remedies had proved powerless that the insurrection animated by a fanatical spirit of liberty had broken down every embankment that at the head of the insurrection appeared in the west de Salinet, christophe in the north and in the south 
Ferrault, that after having laid waste the interior, the insurgents ravaged the coasts like pirates, that the colonists were in a state of extreme affliction at seeing so great an armament overwhelmed with reverses, and that the only means of safety was another expedition. Another expedition was impossible. Already had a bad feeling arisen between France and England. Soon the latter power declared war against the former. This rupture gave the finishing blow to the French cause in Haiti. On land, Rochambeau's troops were invested by the insurgents. At sea, the English were supreme. Nevertheless, the French general maintained himself in his post with an intrepidity which would have done honor to a good cause. The sufferings of the besieged became extreme. Rarely have woes equal to theirs been experienced. Rochambeau has related how pitiable was the existence of himself and comrades during this period when placed between death and life. They appeased their hunger as well as they could by eating their horses, mules, asses, and even their dogs. Yes, the very hounds they had obtained in order to run down their foes. Things remained in this condition until the middle of November, 1803, then the besiegers forced some of the exterior works and prepared for a new attack. The inflexibility of the French commander was at length obliged to give way. Well did he know that an assault, if made, must succeed, and he feared to fall into the hands of his furious assailants. He offered to capitulate. The offer was accepted. On the 19th of November, the articles were signed. The treaty stipulated that the French should evacuate Cap Francois at the end of ten days, with all their artillery, ammunition, and magazines, that they should withdraw to their vessels with the honors of war and the guarantee of their private property, that they should leave their sick and wounded in the hospitals, whom the blacks should take care of until they were well, and that then they should be sent to France in neutral vessels. These conditions were more favorable than the invading army had a right to expect. The day on which this convention was signed, the French general sent two officers to treat with the commander of the English squadron for the evacuation of the Cape. The offered conditions were rejected. Others were proposed, which Rochambeau found inadmissible. His refusal had for its ground the hope that the season would soon compel the English to retire from the vicinity of the Cape, and so render his escape possible. Vain expectation. On the 30th of November, the standard of the blacks waved over the Cape. Rochambeau felt compelled to throw himself on the mercy of the English. At the moment when the ships in which he had taken refuge were about to be sunk by red-hot balls prepared by the Negroes, the Aegis of Britain was thrown before them, and a frightful massacre was prevented. A short agreement having been hastily drawn up, Dessalines was informed that the vessels had surrendered to the arms of his Britannic Majesty. Not without difficulty did the vengeful and ferocious de Salinet consent to allow his prey to be thus plucked out of his hands. Shortly, a favorable breeze having sprung up, the three frigates and seventeen small craft that formed the French fleet at the Cape set sail, according to the convention, under the French flag. Then, having tacked, they struck their colors and surrendered. The prisoners of war amounted to eight thousand. Saint-Marc? Cayes, Jurimi, Saint-Nicholas, the Spanish territory, were successively abandoned by the French. 
the departure of the troops in the different cities was a painful scene families of the colonists and many other persons lacked vessels to fly from the fury of the irritated blacks wives and children were separated from their husbands and their fathers the shores resounded with cries and lamentations on land these were about to fall into the hands of persons who had been their slaves on sea those were about to become prisoners to the english a number entrusted their lives and their fortunes to fragile barks as they sailed from the island rochambeau the soldiers and the colonists saw the tops of the mountains glow with fire aforetime the blaze had been kindled for war and devastation now the blacks lighted up their highlands in token of their joy freedom had been wrested out of the hands of their foes every heart beat with the thought the dark past was wholly gone the future was radiant with hope freedom freedom ran in joyous echoes from mountain top to mountain top till the whole island shouted freedom thus ended this deplorable expedition in less than two years sixty thousand persons fell fifteen hundred were officers of superior rank eight hundred were medical men three and thirty thousand were soldiers of whom not a sixth perished in battle the attempt at subjugation cost the blacks more than twelve thousand men of whom about four thousand found death at the hands of executioners of various kinds End of Book 3, Chapter 4 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista